new CBS Monday. Federal agents! Hands where we can see them! NCIS Hawaii is back. About to set it up! New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, you got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina, yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. It is Whiteout Week. We have been loaded with content over at lines247.com. Hasn't been the kind of week to, to you know look away for even a few hours in terms of coverage with Penn State football, with Penn State recruiting. Uh, a lot going on at the website, a lot going on in this podcast. This is our third episode. We, we started out with an hour and 10-minute show on Monday, recapping the Big Ten opener and starting to turn the page a little bit towards this Iowa matchup. And here we are. Uh, Tuesday was it was an episode with David Eichold. I don't want to shortchange that. A lot of Iowa breakdown there. About 20 minutes of, of good stuff on the Hawkeyes who are limping into town from a health standpoint. Uh, so check out our Tuesday episode with David uh, for more perspective on Iowa. But we got to focus on the number seven Nittany Lions here. We're going to get that done with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon to start. Uh, in just a little while, we'll break down recruiting because that's its whole other thing with the whiteout. Uh, we'll talk about that with Tyler Calvaruso. Give you five more big time names to know uh, on this whiteout guest list. We'll talk about a couple new crystal ball picks and just break down on what exactly Saturday sets up from a recruiting perspective. But on the field, fellas, we got 60 minutes of football between two teams that have ambitions to get to the Big Ten championship game. I mean, there's a chance we see these teams cross paths again. That western side of the of the conference is an absolute mess. We'll see what Iowa can do there. Penn State has its sights set on winning the East. Right now, though, they're both trying to improve the 4-0. Penn State, number 24, Iowa, a 7.30 kickoff. CBS, it's going to be a lot of fun getting ready for this one in Beaver Stadium. And when kickoff comes, Mark, uh, we're going to really start to unfold this 2023 edition of Penn State football. Yeah, I mean, it's it's here, right? I mean, I think everybody kind of realized what was going to happen in those first three games. With all due respect uh, to, to Illinois, that's a little bit of a rebuilding program right now, given everybody they lost to the NFL and to other programs. You know, the one disappointing thing, I think, is that now all of a sudden I was coming here all banged up. And is it going to be the true test that a lot of us would think it is? I do know this. Kirk Ferentz is an unbelievable coach. Uh, he's done, he, he's won in Happy Valley. Uh, he, he's won when, when he's gone up against teams with more talent in Happy Valley. So take Iowa lightly at, at your own risk. 
but yeah, I mean, this is a team that I think everybody was looking at as a Big Ten West title contender. Uh, we'll see if they're able to do that if they if they get healthy. But this is it, prime time CBS. I think everybody's ready to go, and I and I know we're going to get into it a little later. But you know, you're around a program, you, you sense a little bit of confidence percolating through these guys, and we felt it at practice. I think we felt it in the press conferences. Yeah, let's get into some of our takeaways from that time spent uh, on Wednesday, late afternoon, early evening on the practice field as we always get our glimpse into Penn State's game prep. And Daniel, I think my big takeaway from walking off the field is three games in, this is a relatively healthy squad. You never know how those early games are going to treat you. You never know how you're really going to get out of preseason camp and who's going to be sidelined. We're still monitoring things. The wide receiver room, it feels like every week something else has popped up in terms of someone missing there. We had the early absences with Daquan Hardy, Amin Vanover, Kozai Izzard, whatever that was has been remedied. They're on the field. And and right now, I just think they are really feel like full throttle. Yeah, I, I think you you look around at the different position groups when we're out there at practice and you you see everybody. Um, there's There's no one, you know, who you're looking and you double take. Like where so and so, where so and so, in terms of guys that are that we have on our two deep and that we expect to see uh, play big roles on Saturdays. So you know, I agree with you that the wide receiver room is definitely going to be something to to keep an eye on. Um, you know, Omari Evans was questionable those first two games, um, and we've and we've seen him the last two weeks, but in a bit role. Um, but I think Trey Wallace is going to be the big one to monitor um, for Saturday. You know, we saw him in Illinois. He made the trip, he warmed up, but he did not play. Um, you know, James Franklin said after the game that it was a, you know, a decision from the medical staff uh, last night on Wednesday night. And he clarified a little bit that, you know, they, they didn't really think that Trey Wallace was in a position where he would be able to really help them um, with, with where he was health wise. So he's going to be someone to watch on Saturday. You know, we'll have our binoculars. We'll be watching them uh, when they come out for warmups. And then in the early part of the game, you know, we'll see, you know, who is lining up opposite Keandre Lambert Smith as that outside receiver. Is it going to be Malik McLean again? Is it going to be someone else? Um, I think that the, you know, that room is still kind of unsettled in terms of performance and then having these injuries and absences almost unsettles it a little bit more. Um, So it's definitely a room to pay attention to uh, as we get into Saturday. Wallace had 10 catches for two games sideline last week. That meant a, t- a ton of work for Malik McLean. It also meant more work for Dante Cephas, the, the transfers who joined the program earlier this year. Um, and, and with Wallace, I think it was really interesting and appreciated and about as nuanced as I've heard James Franklin describe such a circumstance with us saying, look, our, our doctors didn't shut him down. They didn't say James staff he can't play football and because you'll get that from the medical staff that happens on a weekly basis with guys. What they got uh, was, I guess that he was medically cleared to play football and what they saw though, from him out there in Champaign. And I'd imagine in the practice sessions leading up to their trip out there was that if he were to play, he wouldn't be enough percentage of, of Harrison Wallace to validate him playing ahead of a Malik McLean or a Dante Cephas, which you know, that that's some ground to make up from last Saturday to this Saturday. And, uh, Mark, this receiver group is something we'll talk about a little while, uh, a little bit more down the road here on this episode. But something else I wanted to mention here on the po- on the podcast, and you made a point of it while we were preparing for the podcast to mention Trace McSorley, Grant Haley, uh, both out there at practice was pretty cool to see. We covered a bunch of their practices when they were wearing this uniform. At least you and I did, Mark. Uh, and and you know, these guys would love to be in an NFL facility right now. There's no doubt about it. Preparing for a matchup on Sunday. 
I hope both of them get their chance, whether it's here in the month of September or later on in the NFL season. But what a rewarding opportunity this must be for Penn State players and for James Franklin and members of this staff to have these guys in town and, and be able to pick their brain just a little bit leading up to an Iowa matchup. Yeah, I mean, what did we hear? Uh, you know, we heard uh, before the West Virginia game, Micah Parsons and a bunch of players were in town for for an NIL event. And I'm sure to see that game. Uh, but Micah Parsons actually took the time to talk to the team, uh, which which was pretty cool, and, and delivered a really cool message from what James Franklin said. This is a different situation, though. These guys are working out there all week. I mean, they're they're like in Lash Building <laughs> doing stuff, you know? And, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're not coaching guys up, but – having the presence of a couple of winners like this. And, you know, frankly, and I mean this respectfully, a couple of tremendous overachievers. I think most people, when they saw Grant Haley and Trace McSorley coming into this program, I don't think people realized that these were going to be multiple-year NFL guys. I mean, like, and, and productive, good NFL guys. And they proved everybody wrong. That I think having that sort of leadership, that sort of energy – you know, th those types of people around the program who aren't that far removed from this group. It may seem like forever ago that they were here, but those guys are not that old. So I just think, you know, not only having them here as the honorary captains, which is really cool, but, but having them around the players. I mean, could you imagine what a valuable resource it is for the quarterbacks just to be able to to talk a little bit with McSorley. And I, you know, I'm not saying he's some quarterback whisperer or whatever, but just to have that vibe or the defensive backs or or anybody on the entire team to 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 you know they can go back and look at that that uh wild game against Ohio State back in the day where Haley returned a block kick, you know, for a touchdown. You know, these guys live through it. These guys help put Penn State back on the map and having them here I think is really good especially for this team which is attempting to take Penn State to a little bit different level. Uh, and I'll tell you, I remember uh, Ricky Ronnie saying this, uh, that that McSorley will, he, he thinks if he wants to be, he can be the kind of guy who shows up and becomes an offensive coordinator relatively yeah. quickly in the coaching profession. So yeah, this is a guy that, that's certainly going to be, uh, if, if he's open and willing to be able to be used as a resource by this quarterback room, uh, I'd imagine that they're, they're doing that this week. Um, and, and by the way, uh, you made a great point. Those guys were kind of the the group that followed James Franklin from Vanderbilt, a bunch of three-star players, and you were kind of thinking, I don't know about some of these recruits if you're a Penn State fan, I'm sure. A lot of three-stars, lower-tier players, they were, they're were they going to go to the, the basement dweller of the SEC, and instead they end up following James Franklin up here to Happy Valley. And what an addition some of those guys turned out to be. And years, years later in, in life, and I'm sure James Franklin has evolved in a lot of different ways in the last decade of his life, but – it's got to be good to, for him to, you know, for them to be on his peripheral on a week like this where there's so much happening, a little bit, you know, tethered to the roots of his time here in Happy Valley. I thought that was kind of a full circle thing to see play out this week. They will be honorary captains, so if you're in the stadium on Saturday, you'll have a chance to let them know how you feel uh, when they are introduced on the big board. Uh, let's move towards some of our general conversations and, and takeaways and observations from the last 48 hours or so since we last sat down for a podcast. I want to lead off with Kalen King because he's someone that James Franklin discussed on Tuesday a little bit and more after practice on Wednesday about the impact on this defense that his presence, and I guess maybe the better word is his threat, 
is just impact is forcing offensive coordinators to adjust. Um, you caught up with Kaylin King, uh, Daniel, after practice on Wednesday. I'm curious what stood out from that conversation. We're talking about a guy who may very well be the first first cornerback off the board in the next NFL draft. And in doing so, finally, that first first round cornerback from Happy Valley. Kalen King's always a, a fun media session. I, I think that he's someone who has a, a real knack for things and he does want to go into sports TV uh, when, when his playing career is done. And, and you can kind of see that there. Um, but it was a pretty almost funny uh, media session with King. Um, you know, the way that he was talking about, you know, not getting targeted uh, by these quarterbacks, these quarterbacks that aren't throwing at him. Um, you know, according to PFF, he's been thrown at 13 times this year allowed five catches for 50 yards um, among Penn State players who, I forget how I, I sorted it down, but I think it's like who've appeared in all three games and have been targeted at least five times. He's allowing the lowest completion percentage um, of any defensive back. So I think that that's pretty you know, notable uh, given his skill set. But you know, he's all, he, he almost sounded like a, a wide receiver where he said that he wants to get targeted, that he's out there and, and he wants his targets. He wants the action out on the field. Um, you know, he completely understands why quarterbacks aren't throwing at him. Um, he was asked if, if he was a quarterback, would he throw it himself? And his answer was, well, yeah, of course, because I want to get targeted. <laughs> I, I want to play. Um, so, you know, he's someone who I think is, is very confident in himself. You know, he talks about how, he feels like he's in a similar position to the one that Joey Porter Jr. was in last year, um, where last year Porter was the one who wasn't getting targeted, which meant lots of work for King. And now that King is the one that isn't getting targeted, it's more work for Johnny Dixon, Cam Miller, Daquan Hardy. Um, so I think that King is someone who, um, you know, when he gets his opportunities, he's really going to try to make the most of them. Uh, earlier Thursday, Terry Smith pointed out a, a good pass breakup that King had at Illinois when he got targeted uh, one of the few times. So you know, he's someone who is, is really locked in. Um, you know, I think really knows his role in that defense and he knows that, you know, he still needs to bring it every single snap because he can help take away a large portion of the field and he can help take away something that an opposing quarterback might want to do, um, you know, just by being out there. And he recognizes kind of the, the trickle down effect from there. But, you know, I, I, it's curious. I think that if he does get the opportunities, I think that he's really in a position where he can make some plays and make the most of them. And he's a guy who ha has played against uh, Cade McNamara before as a freshman when he came to town as Michigan. Um, was didn't turn out well for Penn State that day, but it's a different. It Kaylin didn't, it didn't turn out for Kalen that well that day. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a tough reference. Yeah, it's a tough reference. To, to, you know, a low point for, for his career. It's been a lot of high points, and, and it really was to no fault of Kalen. It was just one of those football physics kind of circumstances that played out late against the Wolverines that day. Uh, in this case, though, Kalen King carries a ton of respect. We're going to talk about his, his position coach in a moment, Terry Smith, who gave us a bit of a breakdown on his really talented room. But I want to go back to, to one of those guys who resurfaced against Illinois and really showed up and played a ton of football, Kaziah Izzard. Defensive tackle, we, we spoke a lot this offseason about how he looked the part of that big physical defender that you want to put in the center of this defense. There was a question about that. How would they hold up against teams that want to punch you right directly in the mouth, down the middle of the field? And Kazai Izzard showed up, played close to 30 snaps, Mark, on Saturday, and, and he was available to us after practice on Wednesday. And naturally, there was a bit of catching up to do with number 99. Yeah, that's the first time I've had a chance to talk to him. Daniel, Daniel and I were both there. He's 
a man of few words, uh, I think is a way to put it, but he is like dead serious. I mean, he, he is not, he's not somebody you'd want to trifle with. I was uh, surprised. He, he said he weighs, I think, 300, 305 at this point, and he is ripped, man. I mean, he is like a block. Uh, you know, I, I had never been that close to the guy. And sometimes when, when, when you see somebody from afar, it's hard to judge just how solid and how put together they are. Uh, he didn't want to talk about why he, he he didn't play in the first uh, few games. He did say it was difficult uh, not playing, but he was there to support his teammates. But I think the fact that they were able to bring him back and get him in, uh, I, he did most of his damage later in that game against Illinois, but that's neither here nor there. I think having that sort of talent who is a, 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 he's very capable of being a starter on this team, wouldn't be surprised if there are games where he starts, depending on who they're playing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just think he's an, a, a great addition and the way he kind of carries himself is just like a no nonsense, uh, aspect to him. You know, some of those D linemen, uh, Devon Ellis is, is a little bit more of a character. Uh, Hakeem Beeman obviously has a sense of humor. Some of those guys are a little bit more lighthearted. This guy is dead serious and neither, I'm not saying either one is, is good or bad. It's just, there are different ways that, that, that people kind of carry themselves, but he was really serious and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him get more snaps because when he was in there, he did a lot of damage. We didn't get to see as much of him last year as I think we would have hoped. So hopefully he's able to stay healthy and and, and be an integral part. But I think it also speaks to the depth that they have at defensive tackle. I know you broke down all the snaps and the way that they, they were able to balance those things out. I think that's going to come into play when you when, when you face these teams like Iowa that you know are going to try to depend on the run. And then, moreover, against a team like Michigan down the road where we all know what happened last year. Yeah, I've said before, I felt like down the stretch last season, Izzard was the most explosive interior defensive lineman on this team. Was looking forward to seeing him in action earlier this September, but when he does show up, he gets a couple sacks. That matches his 2022 total. Uh, year four guy, he's always been that serious, by the way. And uh, for years now, Mark, in terms of, of interacting, that's nothing new, uh, well, but that, that is that is his approach. Yeah, and one thing, imagine if you're Illinois and you're going through this game, getting, getting beat up the whole game, and then all of a sudden Izzard comes in and you know what I mean? I mean, it's like you almost feel bad for people that uh, but but you really don't. But you, you almost feel bad that, you know, they're in there fighting against Durant and Beeman and Vandenberg and Elise and all these guys the whole game. And then all of a sudden here comes Izzard and they, they kind of I don't want to say to ease them back in because snap wise, he ended up being on level with those guys. But I think most of those came in the second half. But to, to be fighting the whole game and then all of a sudden this guy with clearly fresh legs comes in and not just fresh legs from that game, but fresh legs from, you know, not having played yet this season. And not, beyond that, having not played, he's playing with his hair on fire. So he's ready to go. So hopefully he can keep that up. And this is the whole point with this defense. We've talked about it. Manny Diaz has the confidence to throw waves of athletes, blue chip talent at you. And when you look at the schedule, realistically, how many programs, how many opposing offenses, how many opposing offensive lines can keep up with that for four quarters? And that's what makes you feel very good about this defense while the offense continues to evolve and come together with a lot of new pieces and a new quarterback there. Uh, its defense has looked the part early on. Again, less than 70 rushing yards allowed against Illinois because I is a factor there. One of those guys who you can say Illinois maybe looks up and, and, and says, man, he's back to Daquan Hardy. Uh, this this cornerback room got much better on Saturday. Terry Smith, 
did not slow uh, slow his roll in singing the praises of Daquan Hardy. Uh, he always does when we bring up the man he calls Day Day. I was the one who brought him up on the call on Thursday. And Terry Smith, uh, you, know, you were there, Daniel, really talked about not only what it meant to get Daquan Hardy back on the field, comes up with an interception. He's over 35 snaps. He's playing inside. He's playing outside. But what it meant and what it really unlocked for the rest of that cornerback group. Yeah, Terry Smith that said that getting uh, Hardy back was just really, really big for them on the back end. Um, he, he brought up something that I, I talked to Daquan Hardy about a little bit uh, in Champaign after the game where Terry Smith said that they're going to play Hardy more on the outside this year, uh, where which was where he got his interception against Illinois and where we really have not seen him play uh, over the course of his career at Penn State, at least in the, the two years that I've been covering the team. So yeah, I think putting him back there, we saw how it unlocks a couple different things. We saw them being able to move Johnny Dixon around the defense with Hardy in there in the slot in that multi-defensive back package. Um, and I think that I think that Hardy is someone that you can tell Terry Smith definitely has a, a lot of respect for and you know maybe even a, a soft spot for based on that it's a Pittsburgh guy, how Hardy's recruitment went. Uh, and some of the things that we've heard uh, Smith and James Franklin say about it, where they just kind of realize that, you know, stop overthinking it. This guy can play. Let's bring him in. Um, so I think getting Hardy back at, I mean, it adds speed. It adds aggression to that, to the back end of that defense. Um, he has ball skills, um, which we saw against Illinois. So I think that getting Hardy back, you know, it just unlocks some things, allows them to move people around and just above all, adds another, you know, what Terry Smith thinks is an NFL caliber defensive back back there. Yeah, Terry Smith said that he he believes Daquan Hardy will be drafted. I know that's always been kind of a question. He could be as productive as he as he possibly can be at Penn State, but those measurables, how will they impact him? Terry Smith says he'll be a draft pick. Where, where Terry Smith really, I, I think, was trying to beat his chest about today a little bit was Johnny Dixon and how far he's come along uh, since coming over from South Carolina a few years back. Smith says that he is an elite cover guy and he thinks that he is going to really rise in the terms of that NFL conversation. Now, Kalen King's a slam dunk top of the top of the line kind of player, but Terry Smith kept circling back. He used the phrase elite a couple times with him. And then you circle in uh, circle in back to Cam Miller, uh, who obviously has, has proven a bunch early this season, played quite a bit last year as a freshman. And Terry Smith went so as, uh, as so far to say they have six cornerbacks that they feel like are their guys right now. You work your way down to those two freshmen that we've seen involved in Zion Tracy and Elite Washington, Elliot Washington. He didn't call him <laughs> Elite Washington, but he did say he has elite speed, 4-3-2, but that wasn't the end of the story. We got a nickname, though. We got a nickname, though. <laughs> yeah, Elite Washington. How about this? 24 miles per hour they tracked uh, Elliot Washington on, on the field this year as a freshman. Uh, Terry says that in, in the – Total time at Penn State that they've been tracking miles per hour with players, which I don't know when that dates back to, but I imagine it's been at least a few years and they've had a lot of good athletes. That is the fastest time for this program. That is the fastest time. Elliot Washington got into this program last January. He's a former Alabama commit. He's a former top 24-7 prospect. All that adds up. But to hear that this early at 5'11", 190-plus pounds, I mean, Daniel, that's pretty scary. And I would file him and King Mac and – I mean, I, I don't want to shortchange guys like Tony Rojas and Jamil Lyons and everybody, but those two guys, particularly this week, that we've been writing about, hearing about, it's just a little bit different in terms of their physical abilities. It sounds like uh, King Mac is, is scary explosive, and Elliot Washington just brings straight-line speed you do not see at that size or that age. 
And with Washington, you factor in that earlier this offseason, he was listed at 200 pounds or even above 200 pounds, I think. So you know, he's someone that brings uh, a different kind of size, I think different kind of body type to that cornerback room. But I mean, you could tell that Terry Smith is really, really excited about both Elliot Washington and Zion Tracy. I mean, when he got asked about those two on the call, I mean, he did not hesitate to bring out those numbers um, about Elliot Washington. And with Zion, Zion Tracy, he said that Tracy ran a 4-4-1 in the 40, and that includes having to pull up in the last five yards because he pulled his hamstring. So that's another guy <laughs> that has the the sub 4-4 uh, skills you know, in his back pocket. Um, he also highlighted Zion Tracy's footwork. Uh, as something that really impressed him and, and really allowed him to get onto the field. You know, he he laid out the pecking order, you know, that Penn State has and, you know, who the top six guys basically are. You know, you've got King, Dixon, Hardy, Cam Miller, uh, and then Elliott Washington and Zion Tracy. And Terry Smith said that he hopes that by the middle of the season that Elliott Washington and Zion Tracy will have bigger roles. Um, I think that that's something that we've seen in the past couple of years with guys' roles growing over the course of the year. You know, we saw Kalen King two years ago getting, you know, real crucial snaps as a freshman when when the game was hanging in the balance. You know, last year we saw Cam Miller on the field um, a little bit more, especially once Joey Porter Jr. got hurt and Johnny Dixon moved into kind of a, a more full-time role. So it'll be interesting to see how these reps change as we get further into the season. But I think that Terry Smith is really, really excited about what he has in that room overall. And beyond that that group of six, you've got Lamont Payne, who's the third freshman who signed with that 2023 class. And then Aldavian Collins, who has freshman eligibility after redshirting down in the SEC last year with Mississippi State. So there's eight scholarship cornerbacks, and they brought a walk-on Colin Dinkins out to Illinois, who's the younger brother of Khalil Dinkins, a, a, a guy who looks really impressive when you see him running around on the practice field. He's a second-year player as well. Um one other name I wanted to make sure that we got to here was Caden Saunders. He was in front of the microphones and cameras after practice on Wednesday as well. And uh, it's something that I expect to see more of from Caden Saunders as his role grows with this program. He was one of the faces of that 2022 recruiting class coming out of Ohio, the initial commitment there. and Didn't materialize for him last year. He talked to us on Wednesday night pinning that a lot more on his physical state than his mental state in year one, why he ended up only playing in a few games and, and taking a red shirt and, and being a non-factor on Saturdays. Now he is a factor. He's the primary punt returner. He had a 19-yard return on the road at Illinois. It could be a big punter, punter versus punter kind of contest against Iowa, as always. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting, Marcus. I know you were over there with Caden for a little while, as I was. He talked about that confidence that's brewing as a punt returner. And, and by the way, he connected his, his center fielder skills as a high school player. And he was initially maybe going to be a college baseball prospect, says that's helped him out. But Caden Saunders really went to it's translating for me in offense. I can feel it as a receiver. A couple touches, only 10 snaps at, at Illinois, but you love to hear because this kid has the skill set. He's come a long way physically from when he got to campus in January of 2022. And if it clicks for him at receiver, he may not look back. Yeah, he's a, he wouldn't tell us how many miles per hour he ran. I was, I was anxious to see. <laughs> but you can – I mean, he definitely physically just looks different. He He's not the biggest guy. Uh, but you can tell how much time he's put in uh, to the weight room. And, you know, I just, he is just such a candid kid. And, and we've all known him a little bit. I think you know him better than I do. But but just seeing him from when he was at camp and kind of the leader of that class 
and always had the smile on his face, always took the time to say hello. Uh, it just carries himself well. But I thought he was he, he was so honest about how difficult things were for him last year that when, when he got on campus and all of a sudden everybody's as fast as you and all of a sudden everybody can, you know, it, it can hit and everybody's at a certain level that it hurt his confidence. And, you know, that th this is a really, really confident guy. So I think it's been kind of a stroke of genius that they put him back there as that punt return guy because he has looked just tremendously confident in that role. And, you know, knock on wood, but that that is not an easy thing to do. I mean, he's yeah. back there with, with, you know, in the line of fire. And I actually, actually asked him that, or you did, somebody did, but we're there. And it's like, how does that translate? It goes, yeah, well, you start to build that confidence. You start to feel it. And then you can take it into other aspects of your game. And I think we even saw that in the punt return game, where initially he was content just catching the ball, which, as James Franklin said, that is the key. That is the number one skill for a punt return man. And once he got comfortable in that, now he's starting to make people miss. And I think he's just going to get better and better and better. And then from a receiver perspective, I think the quickness he has, that short area quickness, I think you're, he's a guy who has an opportunity to get more and more snaps as the season goes along. I know there's a limited number because you know Keandre Lambert-Smith is going to get a ton. When Trey Wallace is healthy, he's going to get a ton. But after that, it's a toss-up. And I think if he keeps it up, he's just going to keep getting better and better and better. I think he has a really bright future as a return man and as a receiver. And just as a kind of a team leader in that he carries this, he just there's a, a certain something to him. And he also had one of the great lines ever. We have to tiptoe around it, but when uh, when Daniel said ball skills – earlier uh <laughs> he was yeah. asked what it takes to to be back there and, and catch it and let's just say he he said uh i'll paraphrase it, it takes a, a lot of courage it takes a <laughs> lot of courage to do that but it, again it's just him and it just came out and it was funny when he said it and we all kind of laughed and i don't think anybody took it the wrong way so good kid and good to see him doing well and I remember getting on the phone with him shortly after his commitment, which was in the depths of, of the pandemic, if I remember, in the summer of 2022. And he was talking about punt returner back then. I mean, that was part of the plan for him at Penn State. It's cool here. Year two, stepping up. It was a veteran's job last year with, with Parker Washington. But Caden Saunders, it's always been about receiver. And the comparisons that were drawn as a recruit in his conversations with the Penn State coaching staff were K.J. Hamler. And he's bigger than KJ was now. I think at the time you wondered if he would be, but he is. He's, he's here and we see it. He's definitely a different physically than KJ, at least a little bit more. We want to see it in game action, but this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of moment we saw KJ do it in the whiteout before. Takes one catch and and one right, uh, yeah, run, the one right move to, to break yeah. one, and all of a sudden you're, you're off and running as a rising star with this Penn State team. So keep an eye on Caden, Caden Saunders. He may not get 25 plus snaps. We'll see. I think you're going to see some growth there. He got he got 10 last week. So we'll keep an eye on Caden. And 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 generally speaking, uh, I think we may circle back to him as we as we give our predictions here and, and talk about what's going to be the, the overall factors before we dive into our players to watch in predictions. Um, I think we've done a good job of assessing the strengths and, and the question marks of this Penn State team over the week. What is your sense of, of this team right now? We, we've been around them enough now. It's It's been eight weeks of, of, you know, multiple days a week of hearing from coaches and players and going on the field. I think we've all got a pretty good feel for where this Penn State team is. Daniel, what are you kind of, what are you vibing uh, going into kickoff? <laughs> 
No, I mean, I, I feel really good about where this team is at. Um, I think seeing how they performed against Illinois and you know, seeing that they were still able to win handily while not having the sharpest day, I think talking to some of the players after the game and them, you know, talking about how, you know, it's it's not always going to be perfect. Sometimes you have to win games like that. Um, you know, they didn't seem, you know, jarred or anything by the fact that they ended up in that kind of game. You know, so I think that they're prepared for anything, um, you know, any type of situation, you know, any any type of game. And I think that kind of stands out to me. I think the health is good. Um, I think that gives you, you know, confidence in, in where things are. Um, and, you know, you know, coming back to the whiteout against Iowa, you know, I think it's good that they have a, a Big Ten game under their belt already. You know, even if Illinois isn't the, you know, cream of the crop and even the Big Ten West, it's still a Big Ten team. It's still a, you know, upper, you know, upper half of the power five uh, type team. So, you know, I, I think that Penn State is just in a really, really good place. Um, I think that they'll be able to feed off of the whiteout. I don't really think it's a situation where they'll get too far out over their skis. I mean, you talk about poise and composure. You know, that's everything with Drew Aller has gone back to that. And I think that at this point in the season, it's very clear, you know, based on what Theo Johnson said earlier this week, that the rest of the offense, the team, and I think the offense especially, is taking their cues from Drew Aller. You know, he's not going to get overwhelmed. I don't think he'll come out too jacked up in the whiteout. And I think the rest of the offense will follow his lead. And I think that puts Penn State in a good spot, you know, you know, from the jump on Saturday night. Well, Drew Aller is an obvious player to watch. I think we can all skip over him for this one. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the players who are in the spotlight a bit for this matchup. Um, week to week here, we, we do this exercise before our predictions. And Daniel, you're going to lead us off. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Sam linebackers and some of the the bigger safeties. You're talking about Curtis Jacobs, Dom DeLuca, Jalen Reed, um, and even even maybe Johnny Dixon and, and, and King Mack. You know, Ohio, Iowa lost their top tight end in Luke Lachey to an injury last week, but you still have Eric All, you know, who is a you know played at Michigan. We know what he did when he was here two years ago. He's still a quality tight end. Addison Ostranga is another tight end, younger tight end that there's a lot of excitement about. You know, we know what Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz like to do with their offense. So, you know, I think that it's going to be on those Sam linebackers and some of those safeties and other defensive backs, depending on package and alignment, you know, to match up with, with all and Ostranga. Um, and, you know, win those matchups. Um, I think that that's an area that, um, you know, that Iowa wants to lean on and that they know that they can use. Um, and so I think it's on Penn State to to stop them right there. So I'd start with those with those defenders, I think, you know, off the top of my head. It sure does seem like Iowa going to the perimeter is just going to be a really rough idea. <laughs> I mean, right. So I, I think that works in line with, with what you're you're predicting there, what you're picking to focus on. Mark, players to watch. Uh, Daniel went with a few. I, I like the idea there, the area of the field. You got one for us. You got a bunch. What are you, what are you going with here? I'm going – since he took the rest of the defense, I'm going to go with uh, – <laughs> No, I'm, I'm looking at it a little different. I, I think – you're exactly right that it's going to be tough to to attack the perimeter. So I, I don't think that's what I was going to do. I think they're going to try to attack the middle. And to me, that could lead to some big numbers for Abdul Carter. I think this is a game where uh, you know he, he's kind of been flying under the radar a little bit. 
Uh, you know, he had that one interception, but he only has eight tackles on the year. Uh, yeah, I just think he's due for a breakout. Yeah, and I think this is the sort of game. You know, what was it that that I forget who it was who who, who we were talking to. Uh, it, it may have been off the record where, you know, we were, we were kind of told that Abdul is, ha, has a little bit of Micah Parsons in him in that um, sometimes he has to really be challenged to bring out the best of him, which is not uncommon for young players. I don't want that to come across as, as being critical. But here he is. He's not had a big game yet. Yeah, he did, did have the interception, which was nice. That kind of just fell right in his hands. That wasn't like the great plays that the DBs were making. Uh, but this is going to be a whiteout, primetime, CBS. I think Abdul Car and the other part of this is the last time these two teams played, Abdul Carter was not part of it, but Penn State took a physical beating. And uh, there are a lot of things said, and, and I think you have to believe in that Lash building that they are challenging these players to show that they're the more physical team. And Abdul Carter is as physical a player as they have. So I'm looking for a big game from, from Abdul Carter, at least eight tackles, uh, getting things done all over the field, kind of his breakout game this season. Give me a second and a half, at least, for Abdul Carter. I think that Cade McNamara is going to have to put this game in his hands in the second half. That's not where you want to be if you're Iowa because of what he has at his disposal at the perimeter. And I think that means there'll be some shots on this quarterback, and Abdul Carter could do some of that. Uh, I'm going to go with two players and kind of break the rule. Of the It's not a rule, but the, the player of the game. But I'm going to focus on the punt game. So Caden Saunders, who we just addressed, He's going to have a lot of punts coming his way once again. Uh, I don't know if Iowa is going to be able uh, to get on him better than Illinois was able to do or a week prior, Delaware, with, with FBS athletes out there. But I, I think he'll get some opportunities here. And it's all about flipping the field in this matchup against Iowa every single year. And to me, Caden Saunders, if he can get one or two, even eight-plus yard kind of punt returns, that can really set you up and do some damage, especially if you're already burying Iowa and their offense. A couple of good punt returns can work your way into field goal position at the start of a possession. And, and we've seen Penn State maybe not be able to capitalize on, on great field possession last week. But I, I think if you hand them the ball at midfield against Iowa a couple times this game, it could really make the difference. And if Caden Saunders can help produce one of those opportunities, could swing things. And then Riley Thompson. Uh, I mean, this is step on up and do some punting against Iowa in the whiteout. Uh, Daniel, you did a great job documenting his journey on lines247.com with the story out on Thursday. Um, and, and in fact, I'll let you hit on it in a second here. But to me, we're going to see that that blend of that, that Australian rugby style punting. That's something that's a little bit new for here us at Penn State. Caden Saunders talked about it being a little new for him on the practice field and kind of challenging the punt returners there. But we've seen a little bit of, uh, you know, hit and miss with with this new punter for Penn State who came in from FAU as a transfer. Um, I think he's going to, unfortunately for Penn State, they're the punt uh, more than they probably have at, at any point in this season because of what I think Iowa's defense will be able to accomplish at different points. Uh, so Riley Thompson, a bad moment for him could provide a breath of fresh air to an Iowa sideline that otherwise is fading into oblivion because they're in this whiteout storm and they're losing on the scoreboard. If you're going into halftime and you've got a lead and all of a sudden Riley Thompson shanks one out of bounds and Iowa gets the ball in field goal position without having to do anything to earn it, well, that really hurts you. On the flip side, if Riley Thompson shows up and does his best Jordan Stout impression and is able to pin Iowa back and is able to flip that field on his own, 
then he could be in the MVP kind of conversation. We've seen Penn State MV, uh, punter MVP conversations emerge from these Iowa matchups in the past. So that's where I put the spotlight. And, and Daniel, just because I want people to go check out your story, tease it a little bit better than I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think when you, you talk about punting with Iowa and Penn State, I mean, that game two years ago, Tory Taylor from Iowa, that was one of the better individual punting games um, that that I've ever seen. And you know, Tory Taylor and Riley Thompson actually went to the same high school um, in Australia. Uh, Tory Taylor is about three years older um, than than Riley Thompson, but we we got to talk to Riley Thompson this week, and we talked to him about his journey to this point. Um, you know, seven of the past ten Ray Guy Award winners have been Australian punters. Um, there's a program there called Pro Kick Australia, where the goal is to take Australian rules football players and prepare them for kicking um, in American football and preparing them, you know, to be in college and to and to be in the NFL. Um, and, and Riley Thompson is is another product of that program. Um, you know, he talks about how after he finished high school, he was uh, playing Australian rules football. Uh, he was taking classes at Deakin University. Um, and then he was also working in a butcher shop. Uh, and so he was doing those three things, got linked up with pro kick. Um, and then, you know, he wanted to come to America to have the opportunity to get an education, um, and to kick in these types of environments. Um, so he got his first little taste at FAU. Now he's here at Penn state, um, is going to be kicking. Well, if things if things go super well for Penn State, he probably won't won't need to kick often. But we assume that Penn State will need him at some point Saturday. One hundred ten thousand people uh, at Beaver Stadium. I think it'll be a, a really cool opportunity for him. So you know, like you said, Tyler, the Australian punter, the rugby style kick isn't something that you know we've seen a lot uh, over the past couple of years for the Nittany Lions. Um, but you know, Riley Thompson kind of explained the way that the you know, the Australian rules football is similar to the American football, the actual ball. So the kicking motion is, is pretty similar. So it's just some technique tweaks here and there. So, you know, it was, uh, it was fun to talk to him, you know, hear his thoughts on you know, what it's like to be at Penn State, what it's like to be, you know, an American college student now. You know, he's 23, so he's a little bit on the, the older side um, for this team. So I think that he's someone that, like you said, we know what Tory Taylor can do. And if Riley Thompson is in a situation where he can match it, I think that bodes very well for Penn State. Yeah, Tory Taylor is like solidified as a 12th defender uh, <laughs> in the eyes of people at Iowa. So he is a major weapon at punter. We'll see what Riley Thompson can do from a, a butcher shop in Australia to here in Beaver Stadium. Just something for fans to keep in mind when he takes that first snap. I know fans say, well, they're not going to have to punt. No, they're not going to punt. It's the whiteout. They're going to roll. Um, it is prediction time. And we're going to get to Tyler Calvaruso in just a moment. We have a ton of recruiting to talk about. But let's dive into our picks for the final score and our bold predictions. Number seven, Penn State. Number 24, Iowa. As we discussed with David Eichholt on our episode Tuesday, this is not a fully manned Iowa squad. They are down some really key components on an offensive side that was already Kind of the embarrassment of the program, uh, for quite frankly, during the recent chunk of time. It's been the bugaboo at Iowa, Ference, and this offense, and the fact that he's still running this offense. But here he is. He's got a new quarterback in Cade McNamara, who takes a second shot at this Penn State defense in Beaver Stadium. Mark, there's the stage set for you. What do you got for us? 
Well, first of all, I want to thank you for not butchering your Caden Saunders <laughs> prediction the way I did a couple of weeks ago uh, for, for Delaware. You did a much better job of this. But as you mentioned, David really laid out where this team is physically. You know, the one thing I said is that I, I usually don't put a lot of stock in, in past beefs between, between two teams. But I, I think that game in 2021 – was so impactful for Penn State and that the entire season kind of came unwound. Uh, you know, the booing of injured players, Kirk Ferentz kind of doubling down and saying he smelled a rat. I just have to believe that this team is going to be ready to be in a physical, physical fight. A and I think they're going to actually bring it. The other thing I, I look at, Iowa, even when healthy, when they play away from home against big-time opponents the last couple of times, at Ohio State last year, lose 54-10. Big Ten title game the year before that uh, against Michigan, lose 42-3. to So I think Penn State wins relatively handily, uh, plays a real physical style of ball, and, and comes out 35-14. to In terms of my bold prediction, this may not be all that bold, but I think they're going to finally let the big dogs eat, and the big dogs being Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. They've really been limited in their carries, uh, and that's perfectly fine. I think it's been very intelligent. But if you're trying to send a message that you want to be a physical football team, you didn't necessarily have to do that in the first three games because they were able to do that in, in other ways. But I think running the ball is going to be really key. So I think between those two, you're going to see 30-plus carries and over 175 yards rushing. So I think you're, you're going. To, this is the week that you see the offensive line start to click in terms of run blocking, and you see those two. Because if you want to send a message that we're the tougher physical team, that's the first way to do it. I'll tell you what, if the conversation on our message board after this game goes final is about the offensive line stepping up and playing well, I mean, people will take that all day long. And obviously that's mean, that means it's a great day for the rushing attack as well. Daniel, it's your turn. Iowa, Penn State, what do you have? I, I think in the early going, we'll see this game be a little bit of a slog, you know, maybe reminiscent of past Penn State and Iowa games. I think we'll see Torrey Taylor and Riley Thompson, you know, here and there uh, in the early going. But I think that coming off how Penn State played that game last week at Illinois, I, I agree with Mark that they're going to come out um, and be very physical. And I think they're really going to try to exert their will over Iowa. And I think over the course of the game, I think that Penn State is really going to show, you know, as the more talented team um, and as the better team. And I think that that'll help them pull away as the game goes on. I have a 37-12 final. Um, I think that this one has the potential to maybe get out of hand late. Maybe it's 20 to 12, you know, in the third quarter, something like that. And then Penn State tacks on a couple scores. I think one of those scores is going to come from the defense. You know, I have the Penn State pass rush kicking in the gear, at least four sacks uh, as my bold prediction. And to, I guess, kind of double down on a bold prediction. I have Adisa Isaac with a strip sack of Cade McNamara. You know, maybe it's out of the Prowler package. So Johnny Dixon is in the backfield too. He scoops it up, takes it in for a touchdown. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know if that'll be the last score or second to last score. I'm not going to go that in depth, but all the Johnny <laughs> Dixon defensive touchdown uh, as my my bold prediction there with the four sacks. If that happens, you better play the lottery next week. That's all I'm saying. If you're <laughs> if, if that happens, you better play the lotto and win win your win yourself eight hundred million dollars or whatever. It is. <laughs> we'll, we'll see.
I want Daniel to keep like getting more detail with these answers each week. Eventually he's going to be right. And we're all going to yeah. have to be like, that was awesome, <laughs> Daniel. So keep, keep going for it. I, I love it. I respect that hustle. Uh, I too believe that uh, Iowa just not gonna be able to muster the offensive firepower. It's going to take to, to keep up with Penn state. Now, when I say keep up, I also don't believe this is going to be some kind of cruise control matchup for the Penn state offense. We've seen them play Iowa too many times. It's not going to be easy for Drew Aller. It's going to be frustrating at times for this offense. There's going to be three and outs, and there's going to be potentially some takeaway opportunities for this Iowa Hawkeyes defense. Now, that could swing the pendulum again. If Penn State can play that ball security type game uh, once again, and Drew Aller is able to avoid those passes that are 50-50 or worse for you, then I have a really hard time seeing Iowa finding its way to swinging the door open in this matchup. Uh, I got 31-16 Penn State handling its business. I think it'll be a relatively comfortable margin for most of the matchup. I think they'll be up by a couple scores for, for most of the second half. Um, and ultimately, I don't know if their rushing game, in fact, I don't think it will come out and, and deliver the kind of performance that Mark predicted. But I believe when it really matters, like we saw several years ago on the road, I believe it was the 2019 season early on, Penn State was on beaten. They were at Iowa City. It was an ugly game. One of Sean Clifford's first, may have been his first Big Ten road start or second Big Ten road start, and they leaned on a freshman running back named Noah Kane that night for the last couple series, and he delivered, and so did the offensive line. They've got more star power running back now. I think they've got a better offensive line. I think as this game wears on into the fourth quarter, they'll be able to avoid punting. They'll be able to pick up some points, whether that's field goals or a late touchdown, and be able to do enough to, to, to keep this one at arm's length for most of the matchup. Again, 31-16. We were making our predictions based on a line of 14 and a half coming out of Vegas. So a lot of respect for Penn State going into a top 25 showdown. Uh, fellas, it's time to get to recruiting. Uh, all three of us will be in the press box at Beaver Stadium on Saturday night together. Uh, Daniel and I will be back on the post-game podcast, breaking down things in the wee hours of Sunday morning. Uh, for now, look forward to, to what both of you have coming up. I know Mark's about to get our depth chart up that we put together for the week, looking ahead to this game. Uh, Daniel's got some things in the works, and we've all got a few, few more pieces to fire off before we get over to Beaver Stadium on Saturday. See you, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Grab your VIP pass. 
We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Let's jump into it now with Tyler Calvaruso, who has been standing by and ready to bring us the latest on this Penn State Whiteout recruiting event. We had you on earlier in the week. We talked about five names. We're going to talk about five different names. And by the way, there are dozens of names to check out at lines247.com. Tip of the cap to you, sir, and to Brian Doan, and to Alan True and to Steve Wolfong and our network at 24-7 Sports for hammering this Whiteout recruiting coverage all week long and even before this week. It has been wild to see what is happening and what's coming together. I think we see it every year, but it always feels like, like, damn, this is a, a spectacle that Penn State puts on. And you just think about the logistics that go into this. You got to appreciate it. You got to respect it. Yeah, I mean, I texted you when we got off the air on Monday. Look at the visitors list now and just think about how much more massive it is going to be by the time I come back on on Thursday afternoon. And here we are, and it has played out exactly the way that I thought it would. I mean, we're pushing 80 visitors on Thursday afternoon, and, you know, there are always going to be those late additions ahead of kickoff as well. So that is a list that is still growing. It's been a busy week of confirming names, but it's been pretty fun to see this list come together. And, you know, it's Penn State's biggest recruiting event of the season. I mean, the whiteout, that atmosphere kind of sells itself. The atmosphere sells itself. And the fact that Penn State is putting together such an impressive group of whiteout visitors when there are other intriguing games around the nation this weekend. You know, Oregon is hosting Colorado. Notre Dame and Ohio State are facing off. And a lot of these top-tier recruits are choosing to come to Penn State. So I think that says something. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about one of those guys. We'll start off. We have a few names to get here, and, and we're going to bounce around a, a few others as we get into some crystal ball picks, which are certainly always notable for us. But at the quarterback spot, uh, Bryce Underwood, considered the number one player at the position in 24-7 sports evaluation of the 2025 recruiting class. So looking beyond a bit now into the high school juniors, he'll be here. Uh, and we got the number one quarterback from the 2022 class, front and center in Beaver Stadium, and really for the nation against the Iowa Hawkeyes, feels like a potentially very promising combination for the Nittany Lions staff. It's a potentially big visit for Penn State. You know, Underwood made it to State College in January. That was when Penn State offered. And the Nittany Lions haven't really garnered a whole lot of attention throughout his recruitment from that point on. You know, programs like Alabama, LSU, Michigan have taken center stage. Colorado is in that conversation now after getting Underwood on campus last weekend. And I think Penn State is probably in a better spot with Underwood than some people realize. Now, does that mean it's likely? And does that mean that this visit has the potential to, you know, completely change things and thrust the Nittany Lions into that same conversation? You know, maybe, maybe not. We've seen guys who come to the whiteout and their opinion of Penn State is completely flipped in a positive manner. And I think that's what the Penn State staff is hoping that it could pull off with some good fortune because Bryce Underwood is a hell of a prospect and he's a top-ranked quarterback in the 2025 class for a reason, right? That kid can sling it. And, you know, again, he's making this trip when he could have went pretty much anywhere else in the nation this weekend. He's deciding that Penn State is the place that he wants to be. And regardless of, you know, Penn State's place 
in his recruitment throughout the process, you know, during the winter months and during the spring and the summer and now early in the fall, it says something that he is making a second trick back to campus. And he's going to be there with some of his teammates as well. So this is an experience that it's definitely an opportunity for the Penn State staff. And when you can sell that whiteout experience and the atmosphere inside Beaver Stadium to one of the top quarterbacks in the country, it's it's a really big moment and pivotal moment in that recruitment. But we're just going to have to see where this one goes coming out of the visit. It'll be interesting to see Underwood's feelings coming out of the trip. Will Penn State be in that top conversation coming out of it? We're just going to have to wait and see. But it's definitely encouraging that he's making it back to town. Underwood's father told uh, 24-7 Sports recruiting director Steve Voltfong that, uh, quote, they wanted, we wanted to get back to Penn State when the time is right. There's no better time than this weekend. And, yeah. and he's absolutely right for there. And, and Penn State would probably not have it any other way. If you get a chance to impress the number one quarterback prospect, you know, go all in with the whiteout circumstances. And and by the way, this, as you said, kind of pick of the litter with where he wants to be on Saturdays. He was at the place to be for a lot of people last Saturday uh, in Boulder, Colorado, watching Coach Prime uh, go to overtime and, and beat Colorado State. So he's making the rounds. He's due to be at Auburn LSU later this fall, according to Steve Oldfong. So Obviously a headliner when we're talking about a number one quarterback prospect on campus, but he's hardly alone. Another name to get to here is over in New Jersey, Henry Snyder School in, in Jersey City, uh, four-star linebacker DJ McClary, who's considered the uh, 121st overall prospect in our rankings at 24-7 sports for the 2025 class. McClary has been one of Penn State's top linebacker prospects pretty much since it offered last fall when McClary was on campus for a game visit. Demani Diaz has made it crystal clear to him that he is not only a priority, but he is a backer who fits pretty much perfectly in his scheme. He is exactly what he is looking for at the position. And, you know, McClary, he's been back a couple of times since that game visit where he picked up the offer last fall. He visited in March. He visited again for the season opener against West Virginia, so that's going to be two visits this month for McClary. And that March trip to Penn State was kind of a pivotal point in his recruitment. I think that was a moment where it kind of hit him that Penn State could be a place for him. And I think that kind of separated the Nittany Lions from the rest of the pack. And this weekend is really just another chance for Penn State to continue separating itself from the rest of the field. And McClary, you know, he's, he's not really vocal. You know, he doesn't really express a whole lot about his recruitment publicly, but there is no doubt based on feedback that Penn State is one of, if not the top suitor for him right now. And, you know, we talk a lot about, and this morning I wrote about, you know, guys who may be uh, inching a little bit closer to committing and wrapping things up in favor of Penn State. I mean, I don't think anything is necessarily imminent with McClary. I, I don't think he's in a rush to wrap things up, but he's one of those guys who strikes me as a potential candidate to make it to the whiteout, be absolutely blown away with the atmosphere and everything taking place and deciding, Hey, look, this is it. This, this is the spot for me. This is where I want to be. And then wrapping things up shortly after it wouldn't surprise me if that happens based on how well things played out for him in March. And now, you know, that atmosphere and everything that comes along with the whiteout is it's going to be amplified times 10. So, you know, I'm keeping an eye on him this weekend as a bunch of others, but McClary's on my radar. I don't think anything is going to happen, but would it shock me? No, not really. Mark Brennan just predicted a breakout game for Abdul Carter at linebacker. That probably played he nicely into, into those plans. Yeah. Uh, let's stay in the garden state, Tyler Calvaruso. I know that's pretty easy for you to do. Let's 
go over to Bergen Catholic and Quincy Porter, who is a big frame, six foot three wide receiver, 30 plus offers. He's a 2025 prospect. Texas wants him, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, and of course, Penn State. Right on that fringe of being a top 100 overall prospect, he is a top 20 wide receiver in 24-7 sports assessment. And look, wide receiver groups under a big spotlight on Saturday after what they kind of weren't able to do against Illinois and maybe a lot of questions with that group. That's a position unit where if you can make it click with Drew Aller under the spotlight, can do you some favors with a guy like Quincy Porter. There were a few reasons I wanted to get to Porter today. The first of which being, you know, it is a very impressive group of pass catchers making it to Penn State this weekend with, between the wide receivers and the tight ends. And Brian Doan had a piece up earlier in the week on the tight ends. That's a very impressive group. The wide receiver group rivals that. And there's actually another wide out that we're going to get into in a little bit who's visiting. But honestly, Porter might be the best of that bunch. That kid can play, man. You put on his tape and you could see why he has all those offers that you mentioned and why he has so many blue blood programs pushing hard to land him. And I know Penn State's history recruiting in North Jersey with some of the Catholic schools is not necessarily the best. And Bergen Catholic is in a place where Penn State has had success on the trail recently. But the feedback is Porter's giving the Nittany Lions a long look and getting him back on campus for this visit was a priority for the staff and they were able to get that done. So now that they've gotten that done and are getting him in town, it's time to sell him on, you know, the atmosphere. And we keep coming back to that, but that's just the reality of the whiteout being able to sell that Beaver stadium atmosphere is a huge part of it. But also I think he's going to, like you mentioned, he's going to get the chance to watch the wild whiteouts. He's going to get the chance to watch how Marcus Hagens works with his unit. And that's a really big component for him when evaluating programs. So he's going to have his eyes pretty much everywhere throughout Saturday night. And again, we mentioned Bryce Underwood as a big opportunity. I think this is a really big opportunity for Penn State with Quincy Porter as well. Let's keep it rolling at wide receiver. Um, way back last January, Penn State put an offer out to Marcus Harris, Modern Day High School in Santa Ana, California. It is a powerhouse program. It has been for decades. It is a power five factory. Uh, it's also a place where when you see a Penn State offer go out to uh, you know a sophomore at that point, you think, well, that's nice. Nice to throw your hat on the table. He's coming to Happy Valley. He's reciprocating that interest. Number 80 player in the 2025 class, number 11 receiver in that cycle. Hey, another opportunity at the doorstep for Penn State, Marcus Higgins. It's kind of the continuation of a trend that we've been seeing recently where Penn State hasn't just been offering guys from modern day. They've been getting some of them on campus as well. I mean, during the spring, during the winter and spring, Elijah Brown, who's committed to Stanford, it was on campus. DeAndre Carter, who went off the board, is was on campus. I know Penn State ultimately did not land any of those guys, but there were points where the Nittany Lions found themselves firmly in the running of some of those recruitments with modern day prospects. So I think it says something that he's definitely making it to campus this weekend. I mentioned the Oregon game as a selling point for recruits around the nation. And, you know, Harris being a West coast kid who holds an offer from Oregon easily could have went there. Instead, he's choosing to fly across the country and check out Penn state. This won't be his first trip to campus. He was on campus during the spring and it seemed like things went really well for him. It seemed like he liked Marcus Higgins. That was around the time Harry Higgins had just arrived on campus. So he was still getting his feet wet in state college. He's more established now and Harris is going to get the chance to walk, get an eye on his wideouts and game situation. So that'll be important for him. Does Penn State have staying power with Marcus Harris? I mean, quite frankly, I just don't really know right now. Again, it's encouraging that he's making this visit to check out a program across the nation. So it shows that there is some legitimate consideration being given. But at the same time, as his recruitment continues to heat up, 
where does that interest go? So it's going to be a tough pull for Penn State, as it is with the West Coast kids. And that's just kind of just the way it is, given the geography and everything that goes along with being a West Coast kid coming out to the Northeast. But Harris, California kid, going to be on campus. Not the only California native who's going to be on campus this weekend either. Jake Floor is an offensive lineman from Jay Sarah Catholic. He's going to be in town. So, you know, look, Penn State, the national footprint, it continues. You know, and I think you might see even more of that now with the Big Ten growing and some of these Pac-12 schools coming over. You know, maybe Penn State dips its foot more out west. I mean, we've been seeing it with modern day, and Harris is a prime example of that. Unless you're a Hollywood celebrity or, or Lincoln Riley, you're probably not flying private from Southern California to State College, Pennsylvania. So it, it requires some effort and you know uh, so, some dedication to making this trip happen, even though it's awesome to be in the stands in Beaver Stadium. It's, it's going to be a bit of a travel process, I'd imagine, to make this happen. So it certainly speaks to at least the, the baseline interest. And if you can build on that while he's inside Beaver Stadium and send him home feeling great about what he witnessed, then who knows what happens. The next trip he comes back, that can be covered by the NCAA. So that, you know, that, that, that maybe you can get him back here for an official visit. And they're on limited now, by the way. So we'll keep tabs on him moving ahead. One more name that we wanted to get to here. And there are a bunch for our VIP subscribers to check out at lines247.com. But another top 100 prospect closer to home uh, down at Wise in Maryland. Uh, top, 100 a top 100 defensive lineman, uh, Trent Wilson. He's the number seven defensive lineman in 2025 rankings. Yeah, a couple of reasons why this one is noteworthy, the first of which being Trent Wilson. You mentioned that he's playing at Wise now. He's not a St. Francis Academy product anymore. He has made the move over to Henry Wise High up in uh, Upper Marlboro, and that is pretty significant given Penn State's history in the DMV. You know, St. Francis hasn't really been a program where he has won a, a lot of recruitments recently. So maybe the chances improve now that he's out of that environment. You know, maybe the change, you know, change of scenery for him. And maybe Penn State's able to make a move in that regard. The second is he was already on campus this month. He made it to the season opener, and he has expressed that he has a really good relationship with defensive line coach Dion Barnes. So Penn State does have some things working in its favor with Wilson. That was even while he was still at St. Francis. You know, Penn State has been doing well with Trent Wilson. And top 100 prospect, really strong kid. The kind of interior defensive lineman I think Penn State really needs. You know, we've seen them go out and land some quality interior defensive linemen this cycle. You know, T.A. Cunningham and Liam Andrews, just to land a few. And Deion Barnes wants to continue that momentum with the interior defensive lineman, mainly because he knows what it takes to stop the run in the Big Ten. You need some big, beefy guys on the interior of your line, and that is an area Penn State has been looking to address on the recruiting trail for multiple cycles now. It's continuing in 2025, and they view Wilson as a guy who come in and fill that void and be an impactful player early in his career. You know, there's a lot of excitement about Wilson's game. So he's going to be a name that we talk about really for the duration of the 2025 cycle until he goes off the board as one of the priority interior defensive line targets. And it's good. Yeah, it's good that he's making it back for a second time this month. And it's another chance for Penn State to continue building that relationship to the point where you get him back in the spring. And then again, for an official because he right now based on the feedback that we've got he does seem like an official visit candidate at some point so i think things are going pretty well there for penn state got to see how things play out with other visits as well of course but i think the nate lines have acquitted themselves quite well with Trevor molson all right, we're going to keep our focus on the 2025 class, but we're going to get serious now. We've got a couple new crystal ball picks from you, Tyler Calvaruso, that we got to dive into, and we're going to look west in the state for these, and we're going to start 
at Aliquippa High School with another in-state running back projected to join the 2025 Penn State class, which, as you remember, does not have an in-state running back. It has a Texas running back. you got Messiah Mickens, the in-state running back, in the 2026 cycle. You've got a couple guys in that 2024 class. But, Tyler, explain how you see uh, Penn State matching someone up uh, with Barker, who, who's uh, committed already the four-star out of Texas. Yeah, it's looking good for the Nittany Lions right now with uh, Dequay Hayes, four-star from Aliquippa, who's off to a really good start as a junior. His junior season film has looked really, really good early on. He'll be wrapping up his recruitment on Monday, and that's going to be coming after he makes it to campus for the whiteout this weekend. Really, all signs are pointing towards Penn State right now. You know, he's Terry Smith's godson. He has a really good relationship with multiple members of the staff. You know, he has the green light to go if he wants to go. And all the intel that we've been getting is that this is a recruitment that Penn State will ultimately win on Monday. I've gotten a chance to do a little bit of digging onto Quay Hayes and his game. And all the feedback I've received is that he might not have the notoriety of Nick Singleton or some of the other running backs Penn State has landed recently. He doesn't even have the notoriety of Messiah Mickens, who's a top 30 prospect in the 2026 class who's committed. But this kid can play, man. He's uh, he's the real deal. That's basically everyone I've talked to about him has said that. He's a tough kid, and he's an in-state kid nonetheless. You know, he he's all – he's one of those guys who will buy in if Penn State is his pick. And it just seems like an ideal pairing with Keandre Barker. You know, throughout this cycle, we've discussed the desire to add a second elite running back along with Keandre Barker, just because, you know, you want to keep building such a strong room. And Penn State has itself a really good 2024 haul in Quentin Martin and Corey Smith. And I think the 2025 haul, it's another solid one if you add Hayes into that mix. I think he's that kind of a quality prospect and will become that kind of a quality running back at the next level. So assuming Penn State gets this one done on Monday, it's going to be adding another talented 2025 back to its class, but he, he's got some other intriguing options as well. So we got to see where things go coming out of this whiteout visit, but I feel pretty good about this one going well for the Nittany Lions, hence the crystal ball prediction going in. Redshirt Jr. Zariah Fisher is the last player that Penn State picked up out of Aliquippa High School. Uh, they're 3-0 on the season. He has rushed for almost 500 yards and eight touchdowns along the way. Last year as a sophomore, went over 2,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. And I'll tell you what will give him a little bit of notoriety, uh, Tyler Calvaruso, is if Penn State picks up his commitment. People will be paying attention to this guy yeah. in a very, very different way for the rest of his high school career. And he's very early in his junior season. Uh, someone will be keeping uh, tabs on. He's a four-star in the industry generated composite he is a high three star on 24 7 sports uh currently the other crystal ball pick uh tyler is also to the western pa uh Pittsburgh's North Catholic High School, Brady O'Hara, making his 100th visit of 2023 to campus this weekend. And I guess you have finally heard enough to put this pick in. I know that you've been talking about maybe putting a prediction in for O'Hara for a while. He's considered the number 204 overall player in the top 24-7 for 2025, number 11 athlete, and the sixth best prospect in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, and if you're a consistent listener – the Lions 24-7 podcast, you should be not be surprised by this in the slightest. This has been a long time coming. I, I've said the writing is on the wall multiple times, and I waited on a crystal ball pick this long. The reason why for that was it was just kind of – I was kind of out of curiosity to see what exactly the plan for Brady O'Hara is. You know, he, he started out as a tight end prospect. That's where he camped 
really going back to the spring, when I got out to the UC report in New Jersey, he was working as a tight end that day. He camped at Penn State as a tight end, working a lot with Ty Howes. So we got eyes on him as a tight end prospect. But now the conversation has kind of started to shift a little more to, you know, potentially playing on the offensive line. That was an idea that I tossed around earlier in the year, but that's more common in the conversation now. And I was also curious to see, you know, how is O'Hara, how does he feel about that? Because, you know, as you, if you start out as a tight end prospect, maybe that's where you really want to play at the next level. And if the school changes its pitch and caters it to another position, you know, how do you react? How do you feel about that? It really just comes back to the fact that Brady O'Hara has multiple really, really strong relationships with the Penn State coaching staff. I mean, every time I interview him, it seems, and I ask him, you know, which coaches are you getting the chance to catch up with? seems like he's got a different answer for me every single time. It seems like he's making the rounds, getting really comfortable with pretty much the entire staff at this point. That's how often he's been on campus. This is going to be his seventh visit of the calendar year, his second of the month because he attended the season opener. And this is just a recruitment where it's been trending one way for a really long time, and that way has been Penn State's way. It was time to go with the pick. You know, it's really as simple as that. Well, we will be keeping tabs on O'Hara. Again, a big, big kind of jumbo athlete is what you can refer to these guys as sometimes. Six foot six, six, pushing 240 pounds. I like the idea of the framework being there for offensive tackle with Phil Troutwine. We've gotten some eyes on some of their 2024 offensive line prospects, and there's not a lot of meat on some of those bones with the offensive tackle prospects that Phil Troutwine is going to be bringing in next year to build up. And Maybe O'Hara can be one of those kind of players who brings the height, brings the athleticism, and you think, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll tack on those pounds as the years go by and, and work work our way into a beast. So uh, a couple names there uh, that, that Tyler Cabaruso has gone on record and thinking that Penn State's in the position to pick up those commitments. Uh, we'll see what uh, what else comes out of Whiteout Weekend. A couple names to keep tabs on. Thus far, all of the names we've talked about, Tyler, have been 2025 prospects as high school juniors, but there is still a little bit of work to be done as Penn State worked its way to that period in December. A couple big-time defensive prospects on Penn State's target board will be in Beaver Stadium Saturday night. Ernest Willer and Jalen Harvey – what do you make of, I, I guess, the importance of, of both of these trips? Well, we might as well start with Harvey, given how often we've talked about him, the way his recruitment has played out. I, if you asked me right now what I thought Jalen Harvey was going to do coming out of this weekend, I, I couldn't tell you, and that's the honest truth. You know, this could be a situation where he makes the visit, all goes really well, and he gives indications that he's on the verge of wrapping things up, as he did coming out of his official visit during the first weekend of June. You know, there's also the chance that he could go through this visit, have a great time, go home, and still decide to carry on with his process, you know, and let things play out until the beginning of the early signing period. You just don't know timeline-wise with Jalen Harvey right now. You know, there's no real concrete indication of where this one is heading when it comes to the timeline for a commitment. But I'll say this, we've had a crystal ball pick in for Harvey to land at Penn State, I think since last October. So we're approaching a year with that pick in. And USC has come on really strong during that time. The Trojans have made a very strong push and they have inserted themselves into this recruitment with authority. And they've done really well with him. And I still haven't yet been compelled to move my pick. I think combined the optimism that is still being expressed about Penn State's chances to get this one done. Some of the relationships Harvey has 
at Penn State. And just really the way things have played out between the two sides, I, I still feel good enough about that pick to leave it in place. And I think that, you know, would it shock me if something happened this weekend? Not really. Would it shock me if he goes home and decides to carry on? Definitely wouldn't surprise me there either. It's just one of those things where you kind of, you're kind of in wait and see mode, you know, from, from our perspective. You kind of just got to wait and see what he decides that he wants to do. And that's kind of been the status quo for a while. Things could be winding down. Things could be preparing to drag on for another month or two. We're just going to have to see. When it comes to Willer, that is a recruitment that is definitely going to be dragging on for another month or two because he's still, again, he wasn't active in the spring, camp circuit and visits, didn't take any summer official visits. He's kind of just starting to get rolling now. He's taking visits now, and the officials are going to come later on, closer to the beginning of the early signing period. And Penn State is definitely in the running to get one of those official visits. You know, that is something that is being explored and probably something that should be expected at this point that he makes it back for a December official visit. And there is an element this weekend with Willow where, you know, Penn State wants to get him on campus, not only to continue building that relationship, which was already in a pretty good place, but they want to, you know, get that size verified as well. Because again, I just said it, he wasn't active on the camp circuit during the spring and summer. And he just wasn't many places. So programs did not get the chance to get eyes on him in person and verify that size. That's another reason why this has been such a slow moving process. He just wasn't out on the road and schools weren't able to verify some things they were looking for. So I think that right now Penn state finds itself in one of the best spots to land. Willard, but we need to see where things go coming out of this weekend. I anticipate a productive visit for him. And I think that will lead to that, you know, December official visit opportunity coming to fruition at some point. And I think assuming that does happen, I think the Nittany Lions will have a good chance to get that done if they push for that to get done. But it's a recruitment where you got to play the ebbs and flows just given the way it is played out. But it's encouraging to see that he's, you know, making all these visits now because you throw on the early senior season film. He's looking good out there on the field, man. He's looking like the top 100 prospect that he is. There's who are in the top 10 for the state of Maryland rankings in 24-7 sports. Uh, Willer leads that list as the number one guy, 86 overall in 20, top 24-7 for 2024. And then Jalen Harvey is uh, in three-star status, high three-star status in 24-7 sports assessment. He's an edge rusher uh, at Willer, uh, defensive lineman. So, look uh, – I think either of those guys, by the way, depending on how their bodies shape out, they, you could see some positional versatility. Uh, yeah. Going to be, but be curious to see. Um, what do we think? Just to finish up here, and, and I know that you're going to have coverage, crazy coverage, uh, while we're covering the game and, and doing post game stuff. People can expect a ton of recruiting stuff Saturday night into Sunday, and probably into early next week, right? Definitely, yeah. This is something that we're going to have feedback flowing in. Once kickoff ends all the way through Monday, Tuesday, you know, that's just the scale of this visitor list and how many quality prospects are making it. Well, myself, Steve Wiltfong, Brian Dunn, we'll be all over recruit reaction. There's definitely a lot of that to come. There is no doubt about it. And it's uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. You know, the whiteout, whiteout weekend is always really fun. It's fun to cover. You know, you get so many high-quality recruits, a chance to catch up with them after such a such a unique atmosphere it's always interesting to see what the kids have to say coming out of that so big weekend coming up for penn state big weekend for our coverage as well we're gonna have a lot and i'll tell you what if they win this weekend and let's say they do it impressively and in, in front of this national audience where you've got a lot of recruits out at home watching and you've got a bunch of these guys in beaver stadium 
you get to marinate in this for a while. You've got this game. You travel to Northwestern, which should not be a problem the following week. You've got a bye week. Then you come out of the bye week here at home again you know, on, on homecoming. That's what it looks like. If you can beat Iowa, get to 4-0, and let chaos happen around you in college football, you're going to be in an excellent position to create a lot of momentum as a football program and as a recruiting staff all the way into mid-October at this point. And, and I hate to just call out a couple cupcakes on the schedule like that, but that's the way it shapes out, uh, bookending that bye week. So a lot at stake here. If they can handle their business on Saturday, uh, they'll be in a really good spot and momentum standpoint, Tyler. We look forward to your coverage. Uh, appreciate you breaking it all down here at the podcast. And, and just a reminder, those were five names. There are a ton at lines247.com yeah. to check out. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So I encourage everyone listening to definitely go check that list out and check out some of the uh, the insight into some of the names on that list and where things are trending. All right. Beautiful stuff. Thank you very much, Tyler. Yep. All right. Great stuff from my colleagues, Tyler Calvaruso, before him, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. And a reminder that if you feel like you've heard enough, this is the time you got to jump on this VIP opportunity with, with our site. Do it. 30% off an annual subscription, $1 for one month. Those are pretty good pathways to check out what we do at Lines 24-7. If you've only kind of checked out the podcast to this point, if you've only read the free content at our site, we got weekly practice reports. We've got a ton of recruiting coverage from our entire national network at 24-7 Sports, but specifically what Tyler Calvaruso does. And then every step of the way on these game weekends, we'll be at Beaver Stadium early. We'll be leaving Beaver Stadium very late. So you will not miss a thing in terms of how the Nittany Lions handle game week number four against the Iowa Hawkeyes. We'll be live on location for now, stepping aside, wishing everyone well. Whiteout week is upon us, and it's just about to come uh, to a crescendo in Beaver Stadium on Saturday night. We'll be there. Uh, many of you will be there. It's going to be a fun time. We'll be back late that night into early Sunday morning with our post-game podcast. For now, stepping inside, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Spring training is in full swing, and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.